Greetings to all of God's people. This is Mordecai Joseph. We're nine, uh, lesson 71. Last time we were in Matthew 16 and we were covering the scriptures that deal with the, with the subject of Peter being in a special uh, position. And as far as uh, the keys of the kingdom that Christ spoke about, these are also mentioned in this passage. And the reality is that those who have the background, who have studied the Bible from the beginning until the end, they have a much greater understanding of what the scriptures, the scriptures are talking all about, because they would understand that the kingdom is talking about is the kingdom that is of God on this earth, and through the one that ruled on this earth, who was the king of Israel, the one that married Israel, that's the husband, the one that was known as, uh, as the Lord, is the eternal, as the Lord of hosts, the captain of uh, the host of the Lord, the angel of the Lord, uh, the rock, Melchizedek. In other words, he came in many roles. And uh, this is basically what uh, we are dealing with here, where this rock, this God of Israel, is telling uh, Peter and all the disciples, because that was not just uh, something for him, he wasn't appointing him as uh, somebody instead of him, a viker of Christ, as some people called it later on, but he's speaking to all of his disciples and he's telling them uh, basically two main things. And that is that the kingdom that God determined, uh, the one that became the father, will be of Israel and in Israel and through Israel to rule the whole earth is something that is based on the promises and the covenants and what God had promised and he would not change. And therefore he said that the gates of the grave can never prevail against it as we mentioned before that when the God of Israel dealt with the prophets as Peter would tell us that that was Christ and the spirit of Christ that was in them and through them he recorded many of these prophecies that God will never forsake his people in Jeremiah we read uh, Jeremiah 33 I believe he read, uh, we read that God is making a covenant with Israel and he's comparing it to the existence of the moon and the sun and the stars. That as long as they are in heaven, Israel will never cease to be his nation and his people. And so when he put it in this context, you understand what we are reading here. And those who had no background, they did not understand it at all and came up with their own doctrine. And that doctrine to this very day is the core doctrine of a certain major organization that God refers to in the book of Revelation, in chapter 17. And so he says to Peter and to the other disciples, and for all those who will come after them, in verse 19, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And people came up with all kind of uh, fairy tale stories about it, and uh, people, people believe that they are true, and talk, tell all kind of jokes about it to this very day, but Peter being the pearly gates, and they don't realize that the reality is totally different and actually much more beautiful and much more awesome than the, the fairy tale stories that they tell. In other words, God is going to come back to this earth, that is the God of Israel, is going to be sent by his Father to establish this kingdom on this earth, of which the disciples asked Jesus, fully understanding and comprehending, you know, they were not mixed up like all those who came later. And that's why they asked him, uh, you know, after... 40 days that he was with them after the resurrection and he's told them an awful lot about the kingdom 
And the prophets told them an awful lot about the kingdoms. They were fully aware of what it all means. That God was coming down to this earth. He's going to establish his kingdom upon this earth. And David is going to be resurrected and is going to reign over all the tribes of Israel. And the twelve disciples are going to rule every single one of them over one tribe. They will be sitting on twelve thrones. And all the fathers and the saints are going to be resurrected in that resurrection. And the kingdom shall be upon the earth as... We read in many places, in that time the eternal shall be Lord over all the earth. And the simplicity was there. And so when people totally divorced themselves from what they called conveniently to their own destruction, Old Testament and the New Testament, they said, well, let's forget about all that in the past. Now we've got a new religion, a new God, a new kingdom, a new Sabbath, new holidays, new this and new that. And to this very day, they're totally blind and ignorant in so many ways, and many of us have, uh, unfortunately, uh, retained some of that misinformation and that is haunting us to this very day and confusing many people. And God tells us, come out of Babylon, otherwise you're going to be a part of it, and the punishment also, not only the confusion now. And so when uh, Jesus Christ tells him, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, he's speaking about the fact that when God established Israel, he made them a royal kingdom, a kingdom of priests, and he gave them laws and commandments, and he gave the judges and the priests an authority that when certain matters were brought to them, whatever the decision was, obviously based on the law, God says, this decision is binding as far as I'm concerned, and anybody who defies that is going to be presumptuous and will bear his iniquity. And that's all he was telling him about that. There is nothing new. It's an old teaching, and now God says that this is going to continue. And so this is what he's saying here. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, which has been from the time of Moses. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And it's not any uh, new doctrine or an ethereal comprehension or perception or whatever it may be that people came up with and invented their own teachings. And God does not recognize any of that. Anyway, it's very simple. And without a background, again, you realize how confused a person can be. And then we go to chapter 17. Uh, well, actually, in the line, the end of the chapter, uh, Jesus Christ is telling them about this coming kingdom. And verse 27, he says, For the Son of Man will come. He's going to come. You see, if we go to heaven, he doesn't need to come. But since it's going to be on this earth, obviously, he needs to come. And so, for when the Son of Man will come in, in the glory of his Father... Not his own glory, but the glory of his Father, with his angels. And then he will reward each according to his works. That's based on the law of God. And verse 28, Assuredly I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And if you don't read uh, the chapter after that, and understand in one scripture where it describe what it really means, uh, people get confused. They think, well, they all went to heaven and all that stuff. Well, chapter 17 made it very plain what he was talking about. And so we're in chapter 17, verse 1. Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. In other words, he looked like God because only God looked like that. 
brilliant. And uh, that's a description of God, of a deity. And some people have a difficult time understanding it, and especially we are seeing today, as we saw in the first century, an awful lot of people are going, after they've known the truth, are going back into confusion. And uh, there is a big debate, like it has always been, especially in the first century, in the second, the third, about the deity of Jesus Christ. Is he God? Is he God the Son? Is he the Son of God? An awful lot of confusion there, because people are blind and ignorant and do not know the Scriptures, and speak up from their own minds. Actually, they're being deceived, have you know, delusions that enter into their mind because they have no love of the truth. And so they, they see plain scriptures and they say, well, did Christ ever say that he's God? In so many ways he did. But the blind cannot see it, but the wise shall understand. And this is one place where, where Jesus Christ is showing himself as God. He appeared before them as God. He appeared before them as Moses pleaded with him. Uh, he said, you know, if I am found favor in your sight, show me your glory. Because he saw him face to face, because he divested himself of his glory when he spoke to Moses. And he came to him just like he came to Abraham, where he could see him and talk to him and eat with him and saw him face to face. And that's the way Moses so far was able to see God, with the exception of when he saw a little of that glory in the burning bush. But then he didn't see God face to face at that time. Now he's been seeing him for quite a while and he wanted to see his glory. And so God said that no man can see God and live. In other words, you cannot see my glory and look at my face because it's brilliant as the sun. It will burn you to death. You know, it will be incinerated. And he showed him his glory by covering his face and allowed him to see only the bad part of him. And he saw God. It was God that he saw. It was not an ordinary human being. And this is the one that became Jesus Christ. And Christ made it very plain in many places that he was the one that dealt with Abraham and, 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 you know, when Abraham was there talking to him, he was the one. And people need convincing even though when he told them the truth. And just like the children of Israel, with all the signs and wonders and miracles that they have seen, they still had doubts. Why? Because they had no faith. And that's exactly what we find today. People who lost the faith are not confused by all kind of doctrines and come up with all kind of ideas. Again, like they did in the first few centuries. Anyway, Christ is showing himself is as God. He says, shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to him, or appeared to them, talking with him. In other words, we see a vision, as we shall read later on. That's all it was, a vision. And that's the kingdom that Christ is talking about. The kingdom that is coming. And who are the central figures there? There are many, like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, but here, for a specific reason, it was Moses and Elijah that appeared. And who was Moses? The lawgiver, the most revered person in the nation of Judah, and previously of Israel, all of Israel, all the twelve tribes. But even later on, many of the tribes, still who retain knowledge and understanding of their past and background, they still revered Moses very highly. We have historic records of that among the children of Israel. And so Moses, who was the lawgiver, and Elijah, who is, the, who is the one that came and brought back Israel to God and to his law, are appearing here in the kingdom. And God is making it very plain. What is that kingdom all about? It's a kingdom that is by God on this earth, based on laws and commandments that he gave to Moses and later on magnified himself. As time went by, through the prophets, through the Psalms, through the writings, and then later on through the disciples, uh, that became the apostles, and others were not apostles, but he spoke to them too. 
And all that was an earthly kingdom of God from heaven on this earth. And this is what we are reading here. And there in verse five and uh, and verse four, Peter didn't know what to say, what to do. So of course we're still talking about a vision. And Peter answered and said uh, to Jesus, Lord. It is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles. And he was talking about Sukkot, uh, like the Feast of Sukkot. And there some people find a link between the two also. And this is one, one uh, reason for it. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hearing. And in other words, this is the king that is going to rule and reign over this kingdom. As it was prophesied, as we shall read later on, that when Christ was prophesied to be born and be named Jesus, Yeshua, he was going to rule over the house of Jacob forever. And he's going to rule over his nation and over the rest of the world, and the law of God is going to be the core of that kingdom. They're all going to obey that law. And so you see Moses, the lawgiver there, and you see Elijah, the one that reconfirmed that law with Israel, is there. And God is confirming that this is the king who is going to reign upon this earth. And so you see, everything is centered around, still around, the family of Jacob, the people of Israel. And so the disciples were very afraid, and uh, they, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came, verse 7, and touched them and said, Arise, and do not be afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. In other words, it was a vision. Now, as they came down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one. So it was a vision. Until the Son of Man is risen from the dead, then you can go and tell the whole world about the coming kingdom. And that's what they went out preaching, the coming kingdom. And that's what Christ was preaching throughout his ministry. He told his people, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And that kingdom was, as the disciples understood it, as the prophets, prophets spoke about it, as Moses talked about it, as Abraham looked forward to it, it was a kingdom that is going to be upon this earth. And the scriptures are very plain about it, from the beginning until the end. And only the blind and the ignorant and the illiterate, biblically speaking, uh, they did not understand that, and so they came up with their own doctrines. And unfortunately, many in our midst who had known better are also getting confused and going back to their own confusion, out of which they came. And then in verse 11, Jesus, uh, well, uh, verse 10, and his disciples asked him, saying, Why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? In other words, they understood that Elijah is dead, and Elijah is going to be waiting until the resurrection. And then he's going to be resurrected. And so the disciples said, wanted to know, why is it that the, the scribes are talking about Elijah coming first? In other words, they are saying that because in the book of Malachi, this is what you read. This is what God said. This is what this person who is standing before them, Jesus Christ, said to the prophet Malachi to record that Elijah the prophet, he said, Behold, I will send Elijah the prophet in the last uh, uh, four verses of Malachi. Uh, and he shall come and turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and, and so forth. So they wanted to know, why does he have to come first, when in actual uh, reality, according to the scriptures, he will be resurrected after the coming of Christ, and not the other way around. 
And so Jesus is explaining to them. And verse 11, Jesus answered and said to them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. And again, he's speaking about somebody in, uh, with the commission of Elijah in the spirit of Elijah. He's not talking about Elijah himself. And if people who did not understand that, they get confused. And so he's explaining to them. Verse 12, But I said to you that Elijah has come already, and they did not know him, but did to him whatever they wished. Likewise, the Son of Man is also about to suffer at his hands. In other words, he's speaking about, about John, like we read in verse 13. Then the disciples understood that he spoke to them of John the Baptist. You see, why did they understand? He did not even say John the Baptist. Well, that was very plain. Those things were very plain. They understood that he's talking about somebody coming in his spirit. And now that they understood that the Elijah that is coming still in the future before the coming of the Lord is also against somebody else coming in his spirit. Because this is what ultimately the scriptures in Malachi were talking about, that it's coming before the coming of the great day of the Lord. And this time that was not uh, the day of the Lord yet. That was yet into the future. And then again, as you read through all that, you see that the entirety of what you are reading, you are reading the story of Israel. This is the husband of Israel. He's talking about the kingdom of Israel. He's talking about the men of Israel like Moses and Elijah and all the others. Everything is centered around Israel. It's not a Gentile religion, the New Testament. It's not for a foreign entity called the church, apart from Israel. As some people think, well, they begin to understand more what Israel is and what Israel, uh, and what the so-called the church is or is not. And they think, well, uh, the church is uh, a group of people, you know, totally separate from Israel, and it's going to be grafted into Israel. And, you know, that's a partial understanding. The whole story is about Israel. And the few that God is grafting into them. It's not grafting the church into Israel. Israel is the church. He's just grafting individuals, wild olive trees, into the church, which is Israel. And that's the complete understanding of it. And uh, throughout the scriptures, you see, this is what Christ is being preoccupied with. That's his kingdom. He's going to reign over this kingdom. And that's the only kingdom he's talking about. And that's the only church he's talking about. And that's the church that's going to build or rebuild the body of witnesses, his own people, which now only very few of them are responding, but uh, he is the one, to begin with, responsible for it, uh, for blinding all of Israel, and he says, I'm not going to heal them until the end of time. That's what he told Isaiah. So we have to understand the whole story of the nation of Israel, of the people of Israel, which is from Abraham, from the time he began, that family, through Isaac and Jacob, to not only his second coming, but to the second resurrection. When all of Israel, who died from Moses until that time, are going to be resurrected and all be, will be a part of that church, a part of that wife, and will be responsible also for the conversion of all the nations of the earth, who also are going to be resurrected at that time. It's an ongoing story, and that's the story of the church, from the point of view of God as he told it. Another confusion that people came up with, bits and pieces of information, you know, some good, some confusion. And so let's continue with chapter 18 and verses 10 to 14, where we read again about the future. And verse 10, Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. Now, this is what he talked about, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. 
And in the false churches, well, this earth that began at that time and took the name of Christianity upon themselves, a war that doesn't begin, uh, is not found in the Bible anyway. It's an immense invention. But they took the name of Christ uh, and then appropriated some of his teachings and then totally perverted them. And they invented a new concept of what loss means. You either are saved and you go to heaven or you're lost and you go to hell. It's talking about you go and, and deliver the message to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And loss doesn't mean at all destroyed or going to hell. It has nothing to do with that. All it means is, uh, you know, somebody's confused, he's blind, he needs to be brought back to the path where he should be. And that's all loss means. And this is what he's saying. The Son of Man did not come to destroy the, uh, uh, to uh, destroy anybody, but to save those who were lost. Speaking about his own people, the sheep. Because he said, my sheep are lost. He said that through the prophets many times. And verse 12, what do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep, and again he's talking about his flock, about Israel. And he's a shepherd of Israel. And one of them goes astray. Does he not leave the ninety-nine and go to the mountains to seek the one that is straying? And he's speaking about them on an individual basis and he's speaking about them on a national basis. They're all his sheep, his pasture, his heritage, and he's their shepherd. And he's going to deliver them, bring them back. Even though he has to do it uh, because of the plan that uh, was prepared from the beginning of time by the one that became the father in him to uh, graft them back to the natural tree from which they lost uh, their direction. And it's going to be a process of a long time. One here, one there, a few here, a few there, and then ultimately all of them at the end time. And this is all he's talking about. And people who have no background to what Christ is talking about, to what his kingdom is, the fact that he's going to reign over the house of Jacob and his disciples are going to reign over the house of Jacob and this kingdom is going to be on this earth, as they read the so-called New Testament, they totally divorce that from all that came before that and they don't get the picture. And they get so confused. And they etherealize in all that and then they give all the sweet, nice, nice sermons about this and that and the other thing and they have no background. They don't know what they're talking about. Taking, you know, all these things totally out of context. Verse 13, And if he should find it, as surely as said to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than over the ninety-nine that he that did not go astray. And even so, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish, speaking about his own sheep, the house of Israel. If a, one of them is so important to God, how much more all of them put together? And that's all he's talking about. And people who do not understand that don't understand what Christ is talking about. And we need to read it from the point of view of God, how he described the history of his church and his dealings with her. His church, his people, his Israel, his nation that he married, which is going to atone for and build again as a lively foundation now, lively stones with the Holy Spirit in them, his people now, a glory of the nations and the diamonds that are going to form his crown, so to speak. And Chapter 19, verse 16, we read, uh, Now behold, one came and said to him, Good master, in other words, good teacher, good rabbi, that's what they called him, rabbi, teacher, what good things shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he says, they address him as a rabbi, they didn't see him as somebody coming with a new religion, 
you know, creating a new entity, a new organization, a new group. And you know, he says, from now on, you know, you, you, you are going to be called by my name, you know, Christians or uh, religion of Christianity, and you have a new religion, and I'm your new God. Uh, all the Jews understood that what he was teaching was, that's why they called him a rabbi, where the teachings of the, uh, that he gave to Moses. Of course, they didn't know that he's the one that did it. But at least they didn't see him, and he, they didn't see in him any, any person who, who is totally out of the community of Israel and totally different teachings. They didn't see any of that. And the same thing happened later on when his disciples became uh, his people. They were known to be as his people, his followers, the followers of the Messiah. Now the Jews just said, well, here goes another sect, just like all the others. But they all considered to them to be members of the religion of Judah, Judaism. And uh, we have to understand what Judaism is. There are two forms, and most people are not aware of it. Uh, even uh, a lot of rabbis are not fully aware of it as they should be. Uh, but the more knowledgeable of them uh, fully comprehend it and understand it, and it's not that difficult for them. And others, when, when you begin to remind them of certain things, uh, they also realize that, that there are two forms of Judaism. There is a Judaism that is the law of Judah that was given by God, which is biblical Judaism. That's what it is being called to this very day. In other words, a Judaism that comes from the Bible. And there is a Judaism that came from the rabbis which is a mixture of teachings from the Bible and their own writings. And that's called Rabbinic Judaism. And Jews have gradually switched from Biblical Judaism to Rabbinic Judaism. And this is what God is not happy with. And it is that religion that he calls vomit. Because he says, you know, in vain do you worship me, teaching for, the, for darkness the commandments of man. He said, you do that all in vain. You know, I have nothing to do with that religion. You know, when you mix up my religion and uh, make it uh, vomit, it's not my religion. But he's not talking about biblical Judaism and the majority of, uh, of the Jews from the day that the split came between Judah and Israel were in biblical Judaism to the days of Ezra and Nehemiah and beyond it. And even to this very day, there are an awful lot of Jews that live basically more uh, based on the law of Moses, that is biblical Judaism and the teachings of the prophets, and very, very little. There are some of them very, very little uh, well, uh, you know, from the teachings of the rabbis. As a matter of fact, there is one group among the Jews called the Karaite Jews. And they're separated from the main, mainstream of Judaism because they were not interested in any of teachings, you know, the teachings of the rabbis. And so, well, the rabbis excommunicated them and they lived side by side and uh, they're still there to this very day. You can see them in, uh, in Israel and some of them in this country too, but the center is in Israel. And they basically live by biblical Judaism, and unfortunately, being human beings, they too invented a few of their own teachings. But at least they stay more uh, closer to the core, and they basically uh, they rejected the rabbinic Judaism, but in the process, they invented their own their own teachers, uh, doctrines also. So they too are not that pure. But anyway, we must always understand that it is distinct understanding of Judaism and Judaism. Biblical Judaism, this is what Jesus Christ was teaching, biblical Judaism versus rabbinic Judaism. And so when he told his disciples that the scribes and Pharisees in Matthew 23 sit in the seat of Moses, therefore, whatever they tell you, you better do. You see? What he was saying is, uh, when they teach you biblical Judaism, well, you know, Judah, the religion of Judah that was biblically oriented, you better listen to what they say. 
because that came from Moses, and I gave that law to Moses. But when they inject rabbinic teachings, that's a different story. If it is not in line with the Bible, it says, don't follow that. And some people don't understand that too. And so, and so they're, they're either they totally reject the scriptures, and they, they rationalize uh, the scripture and say, well, this is not what it means. Or some go all the way and say, yeah, this is what it means, therefore whatever the rabbis tell you, you better listen to. And that's not what Christ was talking about. He's talking about biblical Judaism that everyone must listen to. Because biblical Judaism, all it means is the religion that uh, Judah preserved and kept uh, while they were obedient to God, which is biblical, in contrast to what later on developed by the rabbis, which was a mixture of both. And some of it was not of God at all. Anyway, this is basically what uh, we're reading here. So, this is uh, some background I'm giving you here. So, in verse 16 we read, Now, behold, one came and said to him, Good man, good teacher, good rabbi. What good thing shall I do that I may enter or that I may have eternal life? You realize that it's not just uh, you sit on your rocking chair and just say, Well, I've been saved because I believe in Christ and I give my heart to the Lord, and that's it. Because the law of God doesn't teach this kind of a religion. You know, this is a fairy tale religion. I came later on. Verse 17. So he said to him, what do you call, Why do you call me good? Well, first he said, Let's settle one issue. No one is good but one, that is God. You see? So when you talk about the ultimate sense of good, only God is good. And I'm not in that category. Because he's a human being. So he said, Since you do not recognize me in essence, he's saying, You don't recognize me in God, or as God, you should not call me good in the ultimate sense. But only God is. So, but, uh, but he says, but if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. You see? In other words, it's not just uh, faith, but works also. The two go together. Be obedient to God. Anyway. And so, when he asked him in verse 18, which ones? Well, basically, he gives him some of the laws that were given. He gives him in Mount Sinai, which is the Torah, and that was the core of it. Notice what he didn't tell him. He didn't tell him like people would think today that he would because of the 2,000 years of uh, so-called Christianity. He didn't tell him, well, you have to be a Christian and you have to be uh, obedient to uh, uh, my doctrine and uh, keep Christian uh, ethics and Christian morality and uh, Christian uh, principles and uh, so forth and do Christian acts and be kind to people. No, he just went back to Moses, to Sinai, to the very law that he himself, to the very Torah that he himself gave to all of Israel. And then later on he said, that then through the last prophet, Malachi, in the last verses, that was the last thing that was in the mind of God, and it's a message that is directed not only to all of Israel since the days of Malachi, but in specific to the last generation. Where he said, remember the Torah of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb, unto all of Israel, and the statutes and the judgments. And it is to that very thing that Jesus Christ, the one who was the God of Israel, as he appeared to them earlier, and now he is their God again, but he does not appear to them as God in his uh, divinity, in his full glory, but as a human beings is a part of the plan of God. Nevertheless, the story continues, and it's still the same. It's one story, one church, one people, one book, one law, one Torah. It's not a new religion, and it's not a new doctrine, 
And it's not Jesus Christ, the founder of Christianity, which is a big lie that people began to teach when the false religion came into being. Jesus Christ did not come to found a new religion. He came to magnify the Torah, not to create a new religion. And we get so used to that terminology because all of our life we've been taught that and we take it for granted. And that's what God told Israel. When you come into the land of Canaan, do not learn the ways of the heathen. You may think that some of the things that they do are good and nice and all that, and you should say, well, let's find out how they did serve their gods, and we're going to do the same. And that's how we're going to serve our God. He says, don't be like that. God's religion is very unique. And you should not be going into Babylon to find out how to serve God and how to worship God and what terminology to use. And so God made it very plainly here. And this message is not only to this man, but it is to every single one that follows the anointed Savior, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. The same story is given to all. You want to enter into life? Keep the Torah. That's what he said in Matthew 5 and verses 17 to 19, as we read earlier. Don't think that I came to do away with the Torah or the prophets. You know, I didn't come to create a new religion. Call it Christianity. Be a founder of a new religion. And from now on, everybody who follows me must be called Christian and obey Christian doctrines and principles and ethics and morality and all those things. You know, we take it for granted that that's, that's what happened. This is not what happened. That's why people are part of Babylon without even realizing it, and God says, come out of it. And as I mentioned earlier, not that by itself it is wrong to say Christian principle, because if Christ gave that principle, that's fine, no problem. But what went behind it, the, the purpose behind it, the sinister purpose behind it, to create new religions, new gods, new books, new churches. This is what the problem is. A new law, a new way of life, a new religion. This is what creates Babylon, a counterfeit, trying to get as close as possible to the real one. And you have to make a choice. You want to go with the counterfeit or the genuine, true religion that God gave to his people, Israel, from the beginning until the end. And then we continue in verse uh, 27. Then Peter answered and said to him, See, we have left all and followed you, therefore what shall we have? The issue came about serving God. How easy it is, how difficult it is. And God made it very plain that for the rich men, it's going to be very difficult because their heart is in their riches and that's their God. And so in, in verse 23, uh, we read about this uh, issue because this man that said, good master, what must I do to enter into life? He was not really interested in going all the way and selling all that he had as Christ told him to do because they had great possessions and that was his God. And so in verse 23, Jesus said, then Jesus said to his disciples, assuredly I said to you that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And here again, those who have no background, no knowledge, no understanding, who are illiterate and think that they do know because of the false doctrine which they have taken for granted and the false religion of which uh, they are a part of and the counterfeit religion, every time they see the kingdom of heaven, they think about going to heaven. And he's talking about the kingdom of Israel that is going to restore and rule over the house of Jacob forever in Jerusalem on this earth. 
And so he says in verse 24, And again I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. So now first he said the kingdom of heaven, now the kingdom of God. And it is basically the same, the kingdom where God rules. And he himself is God. And that's why also it is called the kingdom of God. Not only because it is the kingdom of God the Father, but he too is written in all the scriptures. Especially when you come to Zechariah, when, when we read that God himself is going to descend. That is Jehovah, Elohim, the Eternal. Some people say, well, Christ was created. How foolish, how ignorant, how blind can people be? And they have this, this discussion, especially in the past two years, I hear an awful lot of that. Who is God? Is it God the Son? Or is it the Son of God? Or is it's, it's unbelievable how ignorant can people choose to be. Zechariah tells us very plainly, among many, many other prophecies, that the eternal Jehovah is going to come down and is going to reign on this earth. And he's going to be in Jerusalem. This is the Messiah. And his feet shall descend in the Mount of Olives. And then when his people see him, it says in chapter 12, they shall see him whom they have pierced. How plain can it be? Only the blind that chooses to be blind can have a problem with it. And so it says it's going to be difficult for Richmond to enter into the kingdom of God. The kingdom of, of God the Father, yes, is over all. And he will come later on, a thousand years later. And then Jesus Christ, once all are subdued under his feet, is going to turn the kingdom, the reign that is, to the Father, the God of heaven and earth. And is going to be subject to him also, but yet the two of them are going to be there, and both of them are eternal. By that time, all those who are going to be written in the book of life, or who are written in the book of life, also will enter into that family of God himself. And so, this is what he told him. And they said the disciples uh, felt that it was something that is very difficult. And so they said, who can be saved? God replied, verse 26, Jesus replied, with men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And so this is when Peter asked, well, we followed you, what are we going to have? It's not going, you know, talking about uh, when we go to the pearly gates. Now he's saying about what we're going to have in the kingdom. And in verse 28, so Jesus said to them, we read, Assuredly I said to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, and where is it going to be? In Jerusalem. And who is going to return to Jerusalem? Jehovah, the Eternal. And the Eternal is the Son of Man. And the Father is also the Eternal. Both are eternal. And people don't understand even when the statement, when they read the statement several times in the New Testament, there is one God and one Lord. They don't understand what it means because they are using a foreign language. One Elohim speaking about the one overall, the head of Christ. And he's referred to as God, well, that's in the translation, deity. One overall deity and then one master who is also a deity, that is his son. Because he became his son, not that because he was all the time his son. He became his son, but both of them are deities, and both of them are eternal, and both of them are God. 
And so people should not go to a language that has been translated and think, well, this is what the truth is all about. Well, first understand the context, understand the background, understand what it is talking about. And so he said, in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. How plain can it be who the church is? What the church is? They're going to sit in Zion, where God is going to be. The God of Israel, the husband of Israel, the Messiah of Israel, the Lord of Israel, the Ark who was sent from the Father. And they're going to be judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Why? Because that's the church. There is no other church. It's such a nonsense, you know, when people say that there is a church there that put down Israel and picked up the church. Well, if you picked up the church and put down Israel, why the apostles are ruling over Israel and not over the church? It's such lunacy that it's unbelievable. And God says, you're drunk, if you believe that. You're drunk with the wine of the wrath of the fornications of the great whore. The scriptures are very plain. God described his, uh, the history of his own church from beginning until the end. And then, yes, he left it up to men to write the details in terms of uh, historic details of uh, life and experiences and things like that. But... The overall pattern and the history, uh, the biblical history has been recorded by God from beginning until the end. And the twelve tribes are going to be ruled by the twelve disciples because they are all Israelites. That's the church. There is not others. And the scriptures are very plain for those who have eyes to see. So let's continue now with... Uh, Let's continue with chapter 21 now, verses 1. Now when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied in a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Eternal, but not the Eternal, the Lord, Ha'adon, that's another name of God, Ha'adon, and uh, as you read in Isaiah and Adon in chapter 6 where he saw the Lord and this is the word that he used there Adon and from that comes Adonai as uh, the Jews are using that instead of Jehovah they say Adonai and uh, also in Malachi in chapter 3 it says and, the, and Adon will come to his temple speaking about the Messiah and that's why he's called Lord Adon and Lord are the same uh, the Hebrews, the, the people of Judah, understood the terminology, and that's the terminology they always use also for God. That's why they called him Lord, Master. And so that's why he said, there's only one Master that you have, and all of you are brethren. You know, one Adon. And so the Adon say, uh, has a need of them, and immediately he will send them. And all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying... And there you read it from Zechariah 9.9. Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you. And who is the king of Israel? The God of Israel, Jehovah, the Eternal, the Messiah, the Savior. That's a big deal about understanding, you know, whether Christ was God. 
That is the deity in eternal, Jehovah. Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a donkey. He called the fall of a donkey. And people don't think about God coming riding on a donkey. That's because they don't understand the link. God and the Messiah are the same person. And this God is Jehovah. And this God is the eternal and the Lord and the Savior and the, the Deliverer. And he's also the messenger of the one who is above him, who is called God. And so you see the continuity between the two. And there is no separation there. And then uh, we continue. Uh, so the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt laid their clothes on them. And a great multitude, verse 8, spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Quoting now, quoting now from Psalms 118, verses 25 and 26. And, and then as he continues in, into his way into the temple, he quotes again more scriptures from uh, the Psalms. And you see the continuity. It is one book, one religion, one church, one people. And all the prophets of Israel are the prophets of the church. Some people don't understand that. They say that the Old Testament prophets are not the prophets of the church. That's because they think the church is a different entity, and it's not. And you can see very well that without the scriptures, that Christ himself inspired the prophets, he would not be able to do his ministry because he had to always fall back on the prophets and what they said, that he inspired them to say, preparing his way. So they were the foundation for his coming. And they are the prophets of Israel, the Israel of God, the church of God where some of them are now being grafted in by giving, being given the Holy Spirit, and later on, all of Israel, as Paul said, will be saved. Anyway, at this point, we are going to stop. This is Mordecai Joseph saying greetings to all of God's people. Until next time. The preceding message was taken from the World Wide website at address www.biblestudy.org. This site is sponsored by Barnabas Ministries. Bible Study. You have questions? The Bible has answers.